you need to make educated decisions, right? With low interest rates, record valuations, and huge economic turbulence, you cannot rely on what people are saying to you, whether they be brokers, realtors, local owners. You need to do your own research and you know, make your own fundamental conclusions. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from the very cold Providence, Rhode Island. Today on the show, I have Nick Jurley, and he's the founder of Reventure Consulting. And Nick, basically what he does, he helps clients connect the dots between urban economics and real estate development. So data from Reventure allows real estate professionals basically to pursue investments in right locations because of the research and the data analysis that his company performs. And as you know, real estate is all about location, location, location. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're recording this now. Today is April 13th, 2021. And we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Things are changing. And it seems like we think we know what's going to happen. But then the real estate and the economy in general tend to surprise us more often, you know, recently. I'm really curious, you know, hearing your thoughts about what's going on in the market and kind of where do you think we're headed towards? Sure. That's a great question. And I think, you know, now more than ever, right, it's important to think of real estate and demographics on a local level, right? You, know, you read the newspaper, you look at what economists say, they often refer to the US economy. But like, I think you and me both know that that's kind of a misnomer. You know, there's 50 different states, 350 metro areas, 3000 counties, they're all doing different things. Especially, we saw that trend over the last five to 10 years with kind of migration into the Sunbelt areas. But especially in the last year, the US has actually never seen more geographic differences in how certain economies are doing. So I think now more than ever, it's really important to focus on what's going on in the investment markets that I'm looking at when I'm invested in and trying to understand like what are the investment markets that are growing the most? Like you have places like Boise and Salt Lake City, Nashville places that are bouncing back well from the recession. And you have places like Los Angeles and New York and San Francisco, which have lost over 10% of their jobs. One in 12 workers in those economies are unemployed. So I think now more than ever, it's really important for people to focus on those regional differences. But in the end, that's what's going to determine you know, your demand for multifamily, you know, your occupancies, your rents are those job growth numbers. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, for looking at the last recession in 2007, 2008, 
you know, I think investors have the tendency to basically say, okay, we experienced the last recession, we understand the game, but it's interesting how every cycle is kind of different and you can learn and maybe adjust some of your, you know, metrics or expectations, underwritings, criteria, but you can only prepare for what you've experienced and you can't really prepare for what you haven't. So with that in mind, what would be the best tools for investors today that are looking, for instance, to purchase a multifamily or to start a development project? What tools do we have today that can help us understand and better predict what's going to happen in the future? Because I have to say, it's getting more and more complicated. I mean, this is unprecedented what we're experiencing right now. And you always think that every cycle, it feels like the end of the world and it's a one-time thing, and then we experience another extreme and another extreme. It's a great question. And really what I tell my clients, whether they be real estate developers or multifamily owners and operators or single-family home developers, is it's all about mitigating risk. Because as you said, Ellie, like we don't exactly know what's going to happen over the next few years. We don't know necessarily what industry will get hit hard in the next recession. But here are the things we do know, right? Real estate is about supply and demand. How many jobs are being added in the local economy? How much money people are making in the local economy? That's the demand side of the equation. The supply side of the equation is how many units are being built? How many multifamily units are there? How many single family units are there? And it's really the interplay of supply and demand, which you know formulates growth, investment growth. So it's about mitigating risk and looking at, all right, if I'm trying to pick an investment market, I might look at a market like Austin and say, all right, on the demand side of the equation, Obviously, Austin's got a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of job growth. But what's my risk factor on the supply side, right? Mm -hmm. You take a look at Austin, it's permitting by far, by far more multifamily units than any other market in the U.S. on a relative basis. So, you know, we don't exactly know what's going to happen in Austin over the next two years. Maybe Tesla moves in and 30,000 jobs come in and it goes even more gangbusters. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that there's maybe a kind of a tech crash and a city like Austin would get hit hard. So we don't actually know which one's going to happen. We do know that Austin's permitting a ton of new supply and that new supply is going to make it harder and harder for owners to achieve rent growth. So in a case like Austin, it's about mitigating risk. So maybe avoiding a market where supply is like getting really high. You know, another example would be avoiding a market where rents are really unaffordable. So if you go to a place like LA, right, yeah. and you look at the typical tenant in LA is paying 40%, 45% of their income to rent, you know, there might be some reasons for why that is, but how much more can you actually increase rent on that tenant before they can't pay or before they move to some other city, right? So identifying risk factors like supply, affordability, and trying to target the markets where, you know, you're just setting yourself up the best for success, a market that's more affordable, that has supply constraints. We don't know exactly what's going to happen over the next two years in the economy. We know that if you have supply constraints and affordability, you're not going to get hit hard and you're setting yourself up for growth. Yeah, I guess it's really challenging to find those markets, but then sometimes, and I also struggle with it when I identify a market that is affordable, that you don't have tons of new construction, like DFW, for instance, you know, you really need to find the right submarket that has barriers to entry. So you're not competing with five other class, you know, triple A buildings that are going to have huge concessions and are going to take 
foot traffic away and revenue from you. But then basically it's kind of a cycle the way that I think about it, because if a market is affordable and it's attracting employers and they bring people with them, then over time developers follow because they see where the demand is going. They follow and then they build a lot of buildings and everyone raises, you know, rents and the market becomes less and less and less affordable. So there's kind of a constant movement of people, a market that was hot and good. It could still be hot, but a market that was reasonable to invest in today, a year and a half from now, it's not necessarily going to be the right market. And sometimes investors are kind of fixated on several markets. Everyone wants to own something in Texas. Everyone wants to own in Atlanta, but is it still the right market two years, three years from now? Because now if you're going to say, hey, we're going to invest in Boise, Idaho, for instance, which I've been hearing about this market for actually five years now, and I haven't really, you know, shifted and focused on that market. Maybe I should, but then, you know, it's kind of, you keep chasing those markets and trying to stay on top of everything. And it's sometimes hard to understand when a market is just too hot to stay in? It's such a good point. And one I bring up to my clients all the time, it's like, people don't like to talk about timing a market, right? That has a bad, you know, people like, oh, I, you can't time a market. And, you know, it's not as if you could time it perfectly, but Boise is such a good example of a market like Austin that probably seven years ago was the time to get in, right? High job growth, four or 5% job growth a year. The permitting supply hadn't picked up yet. Valuations, land was still affordable. That was the time to get in places like Boise and Austin. Today is not the time. Because eventually, you know, you brought up the good point about corporations move in, jobs move in, developers follow. But then there's a certain momentum to that developer, almost groupthink, right? Like, you know, a market like Austin or Boise starts to just get so much attention that it develops this momentum and it kind of, the pendulum then shifts. And then all of a sudden yeah. more new supply is being built than it's really needed. And you know that's right at the peak. You have someone like Elon Musk being like, oh, I'm gonna mm -hmm. go into Austin, it's the next boom town. There's probably some equivalent for Boise and people get all excited, but that's the exact opposite uh, of the time than when you wanna get in. And I think that's why using data is so important. So basically I employ a, a three factor methodology, which I call mm -hmm. the Holy Trinity of real estate growth and appreciation. It's ranking markets by three principal criterias. The first is economic growth. Looking at data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported real time, month by month, so you can see things changing in real time. How many jobs are being added in this economy month by month? Is that trend going up? Is that trend mm -hmm. staying flat? Is it going down? Are wages going up, flat or down? And then layer on, on top of that, okay, how many new multifamily units are being developed? In a place like Boise or Austin in 2013, that job growth was well above that permitting, which made it a good market to get into. Today, it's shifted. Now mm -hmm. the permitting is above the job growth. And so if you're looking at this data real time, you know, it gives you insight that allows you to maybe step back from the craziness of the news articles and the brokers and the realtors and everyone just you know, saying things and really allows you to, to, to make a determination. Should this be a market that I invest in right now? Or is this a market not to invest in right now? And so, you know, I think that's really the value of trying to establish like a data-driven methodology is it really gives you clarity and insight beyond what just everyone is saying, right? 
I mean, that sounds like an amazing tool, I have to say. Do you have any kind of one or two markets that based on the data, based on what you see, you can definitely see the potential there and and you definitely see the increase in employment, like you said, and kind of a limited access for competition. So any promising markets that we should know of? Yeah, yeah. I love the ABC triangle in Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee. So basically Mm -hmm. Atlanta, Birmingham and Chattanooga. That area in general is achieving growth rates that are comparable to some of the really hot growth markets in, let's say, the mountain states in the Southwest, but they just don't have nearly the same level of developer interest in permitting supply. Yeah. Why is that? To be honest, I don't know. It's a great question. You know, I think at at any given time, you know, there's probably only so many markets that can occupy developer attention. You think about Mm -hmm. how narratives and stories are formed, right? Like, Maybe there's only four to five markets at a given time. Right now, it'd probably be Austin, Salt Lake, Boise, you know, places like that, that like every developer is like tripping over themselves, you know, but a place like Chattanooga, a place like Birmingham, maybe Huntsville, Alabama, which is also there, they just don't register in the same way yet. And yet is the key thing, given, you know, given the job growth in some of these cities and actually the rent growth that they're already achieving, you know at some point that they will get on the developer radar, but they're still in this kind of happy place where they aren't truly discovered institutionally yet. That's very interesting. And I think when it comes to Atlanta, because that's one of my top markets, I feel that some institutions are discovering this right now because they're moving money from New York and Atlanta is relatively close to New York. A lot of money from core markets are moving to Atlanta. Didn't think about the other, you know, that the whole ABC triangle, but that's very interesting. I do remember, you know, driving and Atlanta is a huge city and driving around and people may not know, it, but there's so many people that, that moved to Atlanta from New York. I think that Miami was the number one destination and number two was actually Atlanta. Nobody's kind of talking about it, but I don't see all the cranes. You know, I, I know the companies are moving there. I know there's more, there are more jobs. I see the people that are moving there are looking at the reports and I'm expecting all the cranes to follow. And I don't see maybe here and there, you know, there's several pockets you know, downtown Atlanta, for instance, but for the most part, you don't see the massive development activity that you see in Dallas, for instance, which it's it's a market that I love, but it's almost impossible to find something and not being crushed by the competition. Right. It's a great point. Atlanta is one of the biggest metros in the US, but somehow it slides under the radar. Yeah, I don't know. And I think this is where historical context is important too. So there's so much data available for real estate today. Like, CoStar, RealPage, all these data sources. And people mm-hmm. are like, like, what's the rent growth in the last year? Like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But like, sometimes it helps to look things like with a historical perspective. Let's just go back 30 years in Atlanta and look at how much permitting there was. And in the early to mid 2000s, Atlanta was a truly oversaturated market. Like tons and tons of new construction was going on in Atlanta from like 02 to 05, 06. But then obviously it went down after the great financial crash and it just has never picked back up to the same level. So Atlanta today is permitting about half the amount of new housing supply it was 15 years ago, even though, like you said, it's getting way more migration from these like coastal markets like New York. You know, it wasn't getting the same migration 15 years ago. It's getting it today, but it's permitting less. So, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that's going to be good for multifamily. 
know, in real estate in general in Atlanta. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I spoke with an investor maybe five or four years ago, and I told him that I'm eyeing, you know, Atlanta. And he said, I would never buy in Atlanta. There's no more opportunity there. I used to buy multifamily assets and I used to pay $30,000, $40,000 a door. And back then we were looking at 70 or 80 or 90,000 a door. And he said, I would never pay so much. And sometimes, you know, looking at the past, you're kind of captured in that moment and not in a positive way because it's really hard if you're so used to transact in a certain way, then all of a sudden paying twice per door seems like a crazy idea because you can't wrap your head around the fact that now a door is not worth 50, it's worth 100 or more than that because that's what you used to pay. So you don't believe in the opportunity anymore once, you know, kind of prices, you know, increase significantly. It's a very interesting point. Before I started ReVenture Consulting, I worked for a debt fund out of Boston, mm-hmm. we made a lot of loans on multi class C multifamily property in Atlanta and um, very aware. I mean, 2011, 2012, you're right. There was a lot of value to be had there. And I imagine that's what the person you yeah. were talking to was thinking yeah. about was all the bargains after the recession. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, you know, your, your fixed point of reference, you're going to miss out on opportunities because it, essentially what it comes down to is the rent and the incomes in the local population you know, right. median household income in Atlanta has gone up by something like 30% over the last seven years. So, you know, it makes sense that rents and values are increasing with that. You know, you need to be flexible and you need to be looking at this data going forward. Now, I'm curious, what parts of Atlanta do you invest in? I like to stay away from downtown Atlanta. So anywhere that is 20, 30 minutes outside, you know, places like Submarkets like Marietta, Sandy Springs, Dunwoody, strong areas that now the core, you know, Atlanta market is getting a little bit less affordable. A lot more tenants are looking for more value. And I've seen this trend happening way before COVID and just COVID just accelerated the trend and everyone got out of those, you know, high rise buildings, but they prefer to have maybe an extra room and, you know, not in kind of a high rise, a a tiny apartment. So, you know, I like the kind of northeast part of Atlanta. I see a lot of growth there. There's some other markets on the west side of Atlanta, but for the most part, the majority of the growth is in the northeast part of that market in general. That's very interesting. That point you made about people looking for affordability, I think is so true. If you look at in 2020, it was really the year of affordability. So if you look at every the top 100 metros in the US and you rank them by, okay, what was the average monthly rent in the beginning of 2020? And then what was the rent mm-hmm. growth over the next year? It's like a clear relationship. Mm-hmm. The more expensive a market was, the more it struggled. The more affordable a market was, better it did. And so I think that trend exists both at the local level, right? Like people moving out of a downtown area to like the suburban core where yep. it's cheaper, but then also at a metro level. And I think people are realizing like, why do I want to pay an average of, I think San Francisco average rents $2,800, $2,900 a month, New York similar. Why would I want to pay that? Especially if I can work from home and especially if the yeah. job growth, you know, in a place like Atlanta, the job growth is two to three times what, it was, what it's been in LA over the last two decades. So if I have better economic opportunity, that's where I'm going to go. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's interesting to kind of wait and see where things, you know, are moving. I think we definitely see right now a few markets that are shining and a few markets that are struggling. And if I can make any 
projection, it would be that this is still going to be the trend in the next 18 to 24 months. Obviously, we can never know. But like you mentioned before, Nick, we have to look at at the data and read the numbers and make you know, an informed decision based on the hard data to kind of decide where to invest next. Yeah, it's so true. And look, I I love giving this example because, you know, what I say to a lot of my clients is picking the right market is the most important decision you're going to make. Now, a lot of people push back on that at first, obviously, you know, the operator and sponsor matters and, you know, location specifically matters. But basically, like, I love giving the example of Philadelphia and Phoenix. If you were to go back to 2012, Philadelphia and Phoenix were viewed similarly by institutional multifamily investors. Cap rates in both markets were the same. Yields were the Mm -hmm. same. Institutional investors thought in 2012 that they're roughly the same market going forward. Of course, I couldn't have been more wrong. If you invested in the worst location in Phoenix back in 2012, you'd have done better than if you invested in the best location Hmm. in Philadelphia. So picking the right market is so important. And it's not to say that you can always pick the Phoenix versus the Philadelphia. But like I said before, it's about setting yourself up for success using data to say, all right, where's the job growth over the last year? Where's the job growth over the last five years? And where do I see a housing shortage relative to how much permitting there is? You know, in addition, where's the affordability relative to how much people make, right? Incomes are super important. The more money that people earn, the more money they're going to have to spend on rent. You don't want to be in a market where, you know, tenants are just getting squeezed, getting priced out. Finding those markets that strike the right balance between those, I think it's more important now than ever, given the huge regional and migration differences that are going on in the U.S. right now, post-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your insights, Nick. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's always a conversation that also I have in in my head. And you're obviously a really smart guy and you, you understand how things are changing and what to really look for when you need to make a decision on on the market. We've arrived to the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) We'll see. So five quick questions. The first one is, what's your favorite hobby, assuming you have some free time? Favorite hobby would definitely be probably spend six hours a day using a graphing software called Tableau, just looking at all the data that we just talked about. (laughs) That's your hobby. Wow. (laughs) That's my hobby. So literally, that's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, basically all the data I talked about, looking at zip codes, looking at cities, like seeing where the growth is. I I could literally spend, I could do that for the rest of my life and I'd be happy. (laughs) All right. What's the one thing that people don't really know about you and you're comfortable sharing it with the listeners? I guess I would say that like I'm an introvert. So like I tend to come off like very friendly and very like outgoing with people. But, you know, I love my alone time. Just as I said, six hours a day in front of the graphing software. So I definitely need time to recharge. What's the number one advice that you have for high net worth individuals and for family offices that want to scale and grow their portfolio in 2021? Number one advice is you need to make educated decisions, right? With low interest rates, record valuations, and huge economic turbulence, you cannot rely on what people are saying to you, whether they be brokers, realtors, local owners. You need to do your own research and you know make your own fundamental conclusions. Because if you don't do that, you're just gonna get caught up in the cycle, caught up in the wind, 
So make data-driven decisions, formulate your own thesis and hypothesis about what areas are going to grow. That's the best way to achieve arbitrage level returns and investment security. Awesome. That's an awesome advice. Nick, if people or listeners, investors want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Sure. So my website is www.reventureconsulting.com. I have a lot of content on there, different blog posts and videos, so you can get a sense of what I do and the type of data and services I provide for real estate clients. Also, I have a YouTube channel, Reventure Consulting on YouTube, put out two videos a week on different markets. So definitely subscribe there. Those would be the two best ways. All right. And we're going to have, for those of you that are listening right now, we're going to have those links in the show notes. So if you go to the show notes, you can click on any of those links that Nick mentioned. All right, Nick Jurley, thank you so much for being on my show today. That was a really, really fun conversation. And I really appreciate your time. All right, Ellie, thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. All right, guys, that's it for today. I hope that you left the conversation a little bit smarter than you were maybe 25, 30 minutes ago. Be bold, be great, keep pushing forward, and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.